Okay, you hear me, yeah? You can hear it? Yeah, okay. I don't hear you. It doesn't, don't answer me. <laughs> You're plugged in over here, so I don't have to hear it. But yeah, the real stuff. He's looking for the boxer. He's looking for boxer. Oh, no, I had boxer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty stuff. Pasha's Yisrael. Pasha's Yisrael. Tu Bishvat. Yes, Tu Chaga Yilanot. It says, you can remember what? Something you have to remember. Pashas Yisra is famous for the Asaras Adibris. We receive the Torah. Now, a very, very strange happening here. Let's try to get, let's, let's, let's get some brachas in order. These are all Hadama. This is mango. If it's mango, it's eight. Okay. Let's start with eight. Because if you don't start with eights, then you can't make an eight after, right? But I have thought this later, I'm not going to make an eight. Oh, you're going to make an eight? Make a dhamma first. Okay. Give a sign up. The eights is part of the ground. Okay. So you can be motze, a fruit of her eights when you make a dhamma. For everybody, yeah, that goes across the board. Okay. So I can't believe watermelon is edible. Middle of the winter. Middle of the winter. Where is? Yeah. That's edible. Very good. And we know there are different customs and different kihilot. And amongst the many, many different customs, there's Friday customs, Ashkenazi customs. There's a, in many Chabad, and I believe there are other people that do it as well, during the recitation of the Asaras Adibris, when the Bakhira is reading the Asaras Adibris, as the whole world does, we stand up. And many Chabad is to face the Sefer Teira. Just like during the time of the Kabbalah Sateh Matan where all the Jews are facing Har Sinai, so too we face the Sefer Teira. Now it's also very, very important that we look into the Chumash. Why is it so important that we look into the Chumash? It's important we look into the Chumash because we read the Asas and we say, Lay Signaif, Lay Sirtzach, Lay Sinaf. Don't kill, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Now the word loy in Hebrew can be written with an aleph, it can be written with a vav. 
with an aleph. Translation is no. Take a plate. And give everybody a plate. Yeah. If it's written with a vav, it means to him. Some people like to say that because they're not looking at the chumash, I say loy tzitzach. It doesn't really say it with an aleph. It says it with a vav. Instead of meaning, no, you cannot do it, it means, him you have to kill. So it's very important that we look into the Chumash so we know what we're doing. Tu Bishvat, Shana, for the trees. Today's day and age, People live by their status. They put the status on their uh, Facebook. They put the status on their BlackBerry Messenger. They put wherever they can, wherever they have a, their face mentioned or anything, a name coming up anywhere, they put up the status there. My daughter in Geneva. Apparently, very, very cold there now. Her status today was the poor trees are freezing on their birthday. It's a thought. Anyone's listening to this year online, not here in person, you don't know what you're missing. The food is delicious. Mandy, you don't take fruit, Mandy. Vegetarian. Oh. You know what a vegetarian is? Uh-huh. They looked up in history. There's a phone call I got yesterday. Rabbi, he says, I found out the real definition of the word vegetarian. It means bad hunter. Two. The person was a bad hunter. They couldn't get any meat, so they became vegetarian. Mishnah tells us, open it up. Open it. Saved it. Arba Rosh Hashanim. There are four Rosh Hashanahs. Shredish Elul, Shredish Tishrei, Shredish Nissen, and Tu Bishvat. Shredish Elul is Rosh Hashanah for Meiser of Behemoth. Rosh Hashanah is for the person, for the people, and also for other Meisers. Shredis Nisan is the month Rashi Chadashim, and Shredis and Tubishvat is, as we know, the, tre- the trees of the creed. Tubishvat. Today we had a group here of uh, tenth graders in Bishivka. They had a breakfast. <laughs> 
a lunch, a brunch. I was invited to watch them eat. Meat? To watch them eat. <laughs> While I was watching them, I asked me, are you standing ready and watching? May as well talk. Since it was connected with Tubishvat, we started looking the fifteenth day of the month. It's Tubishvat, and it's Tuba of. Famous fifteenth day of the month is Tubishvat and Tuba of. I, Pesach, and Sukkis are also the fifteenth day of the month. It's not something that we look at and we say, oh, the 15th, was also the 15th day of the month. The 15th day of the month, what to refer to the 15th day of the month, we refer to the Tuba of and Tubishvat. Now, rightfully, any modern day rabbi today, giving a share on the internet, on Skype, later goes online, Any such rabbi should rightfully be talking not only about Tubishvat, not only about Pasha Yisrael, but the Inyana the Yema. What's happening today? What is the most relevant topic being discussed today? The Super Bowl. I wanted to know if it was true that in the soup bowl they play with matzo balls. I heard it was a soup bowl. It's a big soup bowl. They must have a lot of knedlach. I was told I was an ignoramus and it's a Jewish game, Take. It has nothing to do with matzo balls, but it is a Jewish game. So why is it a Jewish game? Does the No, because the main focus of all the players is to get the quarterback. Only a Jew could think of that. You have to focus on getting your quarterback. You have people, till today, I'm sure they do it. They uh, pay their meters. They try to get their quarterback out of the meters. They got a ticket. Uh, They're looking for the gumball. Two minutes. Two minutes. Kapara. The 15th of the month of Shvat and the 15th of the month of Av. So the, the question obviously is if it's so fluent on the tongue that when it comes to Tuba Shvat, people are still saying Tuba Av. When it comes to Tuba Av, people are still mentioning Tuba Shvat. You say Tu. Which month? You're talking about Tuba, tuba it means Tuba Av or Tuba Shvat. People constantly interchange the two. So they must have something in common. So Tzadachal, we have to understand, what do they have in common? What is this? The diamond. Who? The diamond. When they called him the guy rabbi, I told him, do you have any fruits for Tisha B'Av? He's like, what? There no. you go. And I was like, oh, <laughs> 
Yeah. I saw in Svarim, it's brought down. On Tubishvat, we daven for an Esrig. On Tubishvat, we daven that we should have a nice Esrig. How, how enchanting is that? The Jewish nation is so involved in their mitzvahs. Right now, you tell any Yiddish Bible, any nice Jewish mother, on Tubishvat, you're thinking about your Esrik, you're going to get a bat in the head. Tubishvat means that Pesach is coming. Pesach, you don't need an Esrik. Pesach, you don't need matzahs, you don't need wine. You need to clean the house. I told him this Pesach, you have to clean. So I'm telling you, they hyperventilate. But it's all they live on. They have to. Pesach coming. As a matter of fact, the Shabbos after Pesach, if you take a safer out from the Sfarim Shaf and you put it on the table, you, my wife, my mother, you straight away scream, it's almost Pesach, get it off the table. Tubishvat, we daven for an esrik. Why? In essence, the Shoshana of trees is based on the calculations of the growth throughout the year. Anything that grew till Tu Bishvat is one Cheshbon. Anything that grows after Tu Bishvat is a different Cheshbon. It's for the next year's calculation. Tu Bishvat is a cut-off date. Tu Bishvat is a date for planting the new year. Why? Because most of the rain that has to fall, has fallen until Tubishvat. Therefore, the ground is saturated. And that's the time now to plant. Most of the rain has already fallen, which means to say, in essence, and as a cell today, Tubishvat begins spring. It's raining in its cell, but it's the cutoff. For the winter winter months, really. I it can get cold. It can be cold until after Purim. It can be cold on Pesach. The cutoff is too bishvat. Similarly, we see the same by Tuba of. The Mishnah tells us one of the things that happens on Tuba of is they stop chopping wood for the mizbeach. Any wood that was brought for the mizbeach for the altar until that point can be used. Thereafter, we can't use anything. Why can't you use any of the wood thereafter? The wood for the Mizbeach was not allowed to have any worms in it or anything of the sort. Since it was not allowed to have any worms... It had to be dry. In order for it not to have worms, it had to be dry. 
throughout the summer month, summer dates, it stayed dry because the sun baked on it. Tuba'av is Tashash Keche The sun is no longer at its full heat. So much so that we don't rely on the sun to dry the wood anymore. So now we look and we see that Tubashvat and Tubaov indeed have very, very much in common. They are cut-off dates. And they are new eras and new beginning. Tubashvat is the cut-off date for the rain. And Tubaov is the cut-off date for the sun. What happens on the 15th of the month? What is the concept of the 15th of the month? And we find so many things, so many relevance on the 15th of the month. The Rebbe used to go to Eil every Erev Rishchelish and on the 15th of the month. What does the two have to do with one another? The Jewish nation is compared to the moon. Why are we compared to the moon? Because the cycle of the moon is a very interesting one. The moon at the 15th of the month is full and then starts to get less and less until the end of the month where it literally is not visible. And then there's the moilet, it comes back again and we renew and rejuvenate. And begins to grow and grow and grow until it's full again. The Jewish nation goes through the same trials and tribulations. There are times huh, where the Jewish nation literally got to a point where they thought chas v'shom, chas v'shom. I've told the story before of people hiding out in South America as late as 1980 and they were hiding out in some favorf in a derfel, in some corner, some hidden, obscure place, and had no idea that the Jews, there were any Jews left in the world. They left war-torn Europe. They were survivors. And as survivors, had no idea that anybody else survived. And they were hiding until they saw Jews in the 70s. They left in the 40s. Is it possible? 30 years you didn't see a Jew? Yeah. There are enough places as such. And so the Jews have sometimes gotten to a point where Chas it looked like there was not a Jewish nation left. 
but then the Jewish nation rejuvenates, replenishes, regrows, and the new growth the Jews are once again partake from in their great in their glory. And so too is the moon. As the moon in the beginning of the month is at nothing and throughout the month it grows and it grows until it's full once again. And this is therefore the cycle of Tuba of Tubishvat, Sukkis, Pesach on the 15th of the month on the time where the Jewish nation is at its greatest point. We have to come to realization of our greatest point. We have to come to realization where we are and how we stand and where we stand and how we reach to that point. And sometimes we're not in denial. We just don't know We don't know what we really are capable of. So again, we told the story today to this group, the story of the Bashem HaKadosh, with the Holy Bashem Tov, the Holy Bashem Tov had a student I wanted very much one interesting spiritual uplifting. He wanted to see Eliyahu Hanavi. Nothing wrong with that. I am f- I'm sure everybody here has already seen Eliyahu Hanavi, so you don't have the problem of wanting to do it again. You want, you want to do it some more. Oh, this internet. Hmm. We'll be back in a minute. But this Talmud wanted to see Eliyahu He wanted the revelation of Eliyahu No. He came to the Baal Shem Tov and he said, Rebbe, I want to see Eliyahu I want to see Elijah, the Holy Prophet, the one that comes to every circumcision. The man that didn't die, the man that went up to heaven in a body, in a physical body, ascended to heaven. I want the merit, the schus of seeing him. No. Hashem has told him, agreed. Agreed. I will let you see him. Needless to say, the man was ecstatic. He's going to see Eliyahu his life dream. It was a few weeks before Pesach. Bashem told him to begin to prepare for Pesach. To make sure that there's matzah, there's wine, and everything is done 100% plus in plentiful prepare. And the man prepared his Pesach 
It's like never before. Tons and tons of matzah and fruit and vegetables. Wine, chicken and meat, fish. No. The day comes. A few days before Pesach, he's waiting to hear from Bashem. How is he going to see the Yonami? And Bashem tells him, pack everything up on a wagon, you're going on a trip. You're going on a trip for Pesach, for the Seder. Oh, the Bashem is going to tell him where to go to see Elio Anavi. And so the Chosid packs everything on the wagon. Bashem tells him what town he wants him to go to and which house he wants him to spend his Pesach with. Chassid doesn't hesitate and he begins his two, three day journey. He arrives at the house, figures it must be a house of a very wealthy fellow. He's going to come to this wealthy fellow and the wealthy fellow himself must be doing some great special mitzvah. And therefore the owner is going to visit him. When the owner visit him, he'll see him as well. He arrives at the house, he checks the address, far from the palace. He was scared to knock on the door, it'll fall down. Now what do we do? This poor, poor house here, Nebuch. Anyway, he knocks on the door. This is where the Rebbe turned. And he said, I'm a Talmud of the Bashemtan, I'd like to spend the Seder with you. The woman standing by the door was shocked. He thought she was shocked because they're obviously very poor and how are they going to feed him? She was shocked because a Talmud, a student of the Balshemta was coming to spend the Seder with them. Although they had no food. And he said, don't worry, I have everything. I have provisions for you. I have enough food for you, for your husband, for your children. You have a beautiful Seder. And Kachava, unload the wagon, the woman starts to cook, and to prepare. It was a, the most amazing feeling, the house, the aromas started to fill the house. Comes to the Seder, Chassid went to the Mikveh before the Seder, he went to the Mikveh especially, going to see Eliyahu Novi. And the Seder begins. The Kiddush. One simon after another after another. The children singing the Manashtana. The Haggadah recitation. And each passage, each Pasuk, each paragraph is translated and interpreted and everything given out in the understanding of the Tzius Nitzrayim, the redemption from Egypt. Hours and hours of singing, a beautiful meal and happiness and joy. And the Chassid is sitting there with his eyes peeled, checking the windows, checking the doors, checking the children, checking the wife, checking the husband. Who? Where is Eliyahu Anavi? The Rebbe said to come here. I will see Eliyahu Anavi. Where? When? Eliyahu Anavi was evading him. Eliyahu Anavi was nowhere to be found. But he was patient. He was confident. 
The Rebbe said, the Rebbe said. And as he sat, Seder came to an end. Everybody retired to their habitat, to their rooms, to where they were going to sleep the night. But the Chassid could not leave the table. The Chassid sat there. The Baal Shem Tev told me, I'm going to see Eliyahu Hanavi, I must see him. He's surely going to all of a sudden come knocking on the door. He's surely going to want to see why the Baal Shem Tev beckoned him here. He's surely going to show up. No, Eliyahu Hanavi showed up. The next morning he went to shul slightly despondent. Disappointed, untouched. But Davini went through, and the day went through, and he figured that tonight, tonight by the Seder, tonight he will merit to see Eliyahu And again, repeat Seder. Beautiful song, beautiful interpretations, beautiful dancing. The food was delicious. But neither through window, nor through door, nor on the table did Eliyahu appear. A shocked chosid waited for Yom Tif to finish. <coughs> he immediately mounted his wagon and took off. And ran straight to the Bashem Tif to find out why why did he not merit to see Eliyahu Hanavi? And as he arrived the Bashem Tov, and he told the Bashem Tov of his gripe, of his issue, of his problem, of his dilemma, Bashem Tov says to him, go back there and listen, stand by the window and listen to what the conversation between the husband and the wife travels back the road jumped before him a journey it took him two days barely took an hour and here he found himself by the window of the poor people and listened to the conversation Shleimer, Shleimer, what do you say about our Seder? You have for weeks been tortured by me. From Purim, I've been torturing you. What are we going to do for Pesach? Where is the matzah? Where is the wine? How will we make a Seder? And you put your faith in God. And repeatedly told me, God will send, God will provide. And I repeatedly begged and pestered you. Finally, the chassid of the Bashem showed up with the most beautiful Pesach we've ever had. And then she says something that shocks the chassid. She says, it wasn't a chassid of the Bashem 
It was not a chosid. It was Eliyahu Anavi. The chosid was shocked. He heard now the message from the Vashemtiv. If Eliyahu Anavi doesn't come, you have to be the Eliyahu Anavi. Although he did not see of Yohanavi itself. He knew that he represented of Yohanavi to these people. We have to use and see the potentials that we have if we have to become an Yohanavi, if we have to become a Goyen at Tzadik. I was actually talking today, uh, this week, forget about trying to remember who it was, because it's not going to happen, talking about shluchim, being on shlichas, what is really the responsibility? What is really transpiring I told him that in 1977 I went to Caracas, Venezuela the language Spanish my repertoire Yiddish and a pretty half-decent English. <coughs> I didn't even speak Hebrew well. Here, Spanish. only way someone spoke to you in English was if you taught them the language before you spoke to them. Which is not getting away. There were some people that broke their teeth in Hebrew, but prominently Spanish. We come to Venezuela. The bruchim aboyim, the welcomes. All the pomp and stance finishes. Time for real life. People of Venezuela, early risers. Traffic jams at 5.30 in the morning. The buses are air brakes. Yeshiva Baruch Hashem was on an off-beaten path, didn't have a bus route going down the block. We did have every so often a bus came down, but that was for different reasons. But if you were ever in the area where the bus routes was all from 5 o'clock in the morning, you the buses, the route, the brakes, the, the noise is impossible to sleep. Everything settles down and we figure, okay, what is our tafkid here? What is it we have to be doing here? We're ten bachrim, we have to sit and learn yeshiva. But we have to get involved with the community as well. Getting involved with the community, you have to get involved with the youth. 
So we asked the Shliach. We had no those those year. We didn't have a report. We didn't have the resume of Venezuela in front of us. We had to break our heads and figure it out, I guess, because nobody was giving us instruction. We asked the Shliach, is there a Jewish school? In the neighborhood that we were in, which is called San Bernardino, there was a Jewish school called Morali Luces. It's called Morali Luces Herzl Bialik. Morali Luces means morals and lights. And to make it Jewish, they added the name Herzl Bialik. Muralus Zerzebialik was a nice little Jewish school. They housed 1,500 students. Not bad for a sizable school. In La Florida was another school called Rambam. Now, Morali Lusis, Herzog was about as Jewish as it got. Calling it Herzog made it about it. That was the whole extent of the Judaism. They may have had a Torah class or two. You didn't see a yarmulke on any of the girls' heads. And very rarely on the boys either. Unless it's a special Torah class or something. Or they actually went to Davin, which... So we said to the Shriach, okay, how do we get in there? We now started hearing from people that used to come down, which is summertime, two, three weeks during the summer, you go around, sent all over the world. They would come from Merkishlichus, they would go to Merali Lusis and set up a little table outside the school. You cannot enter the gates. And they put on film with some of the students who came out. That was not an option. It was not an option. We needed to get hold of the actual youth. So, the first thing that was done was we put up a propaganda that Sunday club, Sunday is no school, we have a Sunday club. What's a Sunday club? You can come to Yeshiva and you can learn for an hour with a bacher. And then you go on a trip. Trips are either sometimes horseback riding, sometimes uh, mountain climbing, sometimes I went to Parque del Este, the park, whatever. Always bowling. Every Sunday different. One Sunday it was Parque del Este, we came to the park, and in the park you want to play, you got to play basketball. To play basketball, if there's somebody on the court, what do you do? You have to challenge them. The rule, the, rule, the rule of the streets, if you come across a court, people are playing, you say, we challenge you, they have to take your challenge. And if you beat them, they walk. They can't say, we challenge you back. It doesn't go that way. It was unwritten law. The kid said, we challenged the group of boys that were on the court. We had no idea who these guys were. They looked mummish like regular Venezuelan game. And needless to say, the nice American boys, Jewish boys with the yarmulkes and the tzitzes flying, who looked like Martians to these guys. But we were American. 
We beat the snot out of them. We won the court. They walked off. They walked off the court. So we took over the court and we gave it to the kids to play. So now the kids were able to play. And we were sitting on the side waiting. We were watching the kids. We were supervising. Bye, And the boys that we just beat in basketball came over to talk to us. These were not Venezuelan they were Jewish kids. No more, no less, one of the kids that we beat in basketball was the head of the GO. The student body. And we're talking and he says, you know, he says, oh yeah, he says, listen, we have a program in the school. We invite a speaker and the guest speaker comes, has 15 minutes he talks, and 15 minutes for questions and answers. Maybe you want to come to that for one week? We said we'd love to. But we have to first clear it with the shliach. Can't, we can't do anything on our own. They said fine. They took the yeshiva's phone number. There was no cell phones then, obviously. We didn't have his number. We had his name. Sonny Matut. Sonny Matut. Sion. And we came back, we told the shliach, the shliach said, I'll let you know. He dragged us with this, I let you know, for a very, very, very long time. In the meantime, this boy had a calendar, and he had prepared his year, and he had us slated in, he had us penciled in for a certain Friday. This happened on a Friday. Quarter to eleven you come, you speak from a quarter to eleven to eleven, eleven to eleven, fifteen is questions and answers. An average speaker that shows up got 20, 25 people from the whole student body. It was in a large classroom. 20, 25 people used to come to here because it was voluntary. It was a free period. This propaganda started going around from the day he spoke to us. That Everybody knew about the yeshiva. He's got two boys from yeshiva coming to speak. Now, I remind you again, the language is Spanish, and we're here now for a few months. And the shliach did not get back to us, and we told the shliach, listen, we have no choice. The guy's calling us. He wants to reconfirm. I'm letting you know, I'll let you know, I'll let you know, the payal, the shliach never let us know, the payal, we went. We showed up there, and the guy comes to meet us in the hall, and he says to me, Oye, oye, listen. It's incredible. It's, in, it's, in, it's incredible. He says, generally, the max we ever have is 20, 25 kids. The room already has about 40, 50 students there. I said, okay, chevere. Very excited. Came into the room with another shliach, the other bacha. 15 minutes we spoke about Mesidus Nefesh. The question started to fly. 
Because part of the mysterious nefesh that we spoke about was what the Jews went through in the Holocaust. Now, 1977 is how many years ago? So how many years was that after the Holocaust? wasn't that far. And it was a pretty fresh thing. And there were many people that these children saw, or grandparents of these children, that all had numbers on their arms. And they knew them all. So the subject was very, very, very touchy. Very raw bone. And lo and behold, the question started at 11 o'clock. And the question session started getting very heated. <coughs> they were asking very, very fundamental questions. And we were holding our own. We were answering back and forth. And ultimately it became so heated and so loud, it attracted students. The room was way, way over capacity. And there was faculty and teachers and principals were inside. The room was packed. And the questions were coming from everybody. We were 45 minutes into this half hour program. No, we were closer to 55 minutes into the half hour program. A bell sounded, I think, once already in the middle of the thing, which signals another ses- another lesson that he had to go to. But nobody was moving. There was fire in that room. The principal stood up and said, Disculpe me, excuse me please, perdona me, pero tengo problema, I have a problem. He says, the children all belong in class. I see why they're not leaving, but the school has to go on. Maybe another time. And the children all left. The children, they're all high school students. All went back to their classes. Instead of Sonny seeing us out, Sonny was going to see us out to the school, the principal sent Sonny to his class and he walked us to the gate. And it was a big hit. I turned to the fellow Shriach. And as I was about to ask him, he says, I don't know. What was my question? My question to him was, when did we become so fluent in Spanish? And when did we become so well-versed that we were able to answer any questions thrown at us? An unwritten law, or unwritten unsaid um, dictum between us was that we went there as shluchim of the Rebbe as emissaries of the Rebbe and the Rebbe saw to it that every question was answered and the Rebbe saw to it that the biggest Kiddush Hashem was made and it's not any simple task it's because we have to see and recognize our potential. This week's Pasha, as we said before, talks about the Asaras Hadibis, the Ten Commandments. The Jews receive the Torah on Har Sinai. 
And the Pasuk tells us, Vayisyatsvu, and they stood, not al yad hahar, next to the mountain, not lifnei hahar, before the mountain, betachtis hahar, which literally means underneath the mountain. Rashi, as we know, and we spoke many times, is very concerned with our Benchamesh the Mikra, our five-year-old child. And therefore, Rashi says, the five-year-old said, what does Betach Sahar mean? How could you tell me it was under the mountain? And Rashi says, and this is so strange for Rashi to tell such a story to the child, the Almighty lifted up and held the mountain over their heads. And said to them, if you accept the Torah, mutav, good. But if you don't, this will be your graves. Now, that translates Takhta Sahar. Yes, it does. That tells us what it means they were under the mountain. And the Bechamish Mika can almost go home in peace. Tesis asks a question. For Tesis, this thing doesn't make any sense. Why does it not make sense? One of the most prominent and praiseworthy actions, expressions that the Jewish nation is famous for. Every infant, every child that goes to a Jewish preschool comes home before Shavuot, before the holiday of Matan Torah, and he has two crowns on his head. Every preschooler, they remember for the rest of their lives, one says Naseh, and one says Nishma. We will do and we will hear. And every child that ever grew up in any kind of Jewish background knows the story of the Jews first saying, we'll do, and then said, we will hear. So if the Jews already said, Naseh and Nishma, We have fruit. Why would you eat that? My house is able to get shocked for the past two days. Oh, we offered you dinner. I'm not myself. I would have offered you dinner. If they were already expressed and they already said Nasa Venishma so praiseworthily that the generations forever and ever talk about it, why the mountain? Why are they being threatened with a mountain that if you don't accept the Torah, you're going to be buried? We know they accepted the Torah. They said, Nasev and Ishma. So this whole thing makes no sense. The Rambam writes, in his explanation on Mishnayis, After the Torah was given in Har Sinai, even mitzvahs that were commanded before Matan Torah, before the Torah was given, 
took on what we'd call a new dimension. It's not, it's no longer the command that they were commanded prior to Matan Terah, but now they took a new dimension which was called Matan Terah. They took a new dimension which is the receiving of the Terah on Har Sinai. Physically, it's almost hard to grasp. The same vessel, the same mitzvah, the same Shabbos that's said in Pashat B'Shalach, the same mitzvah of Milo, of circumcision, that was told to Avraham Avinu, <coughs> does not have any longer the value of that prior Matantera era once Matantera was given. Once the barrier of the most sacred of all was broken, everything takes a new dimension. The barrier of El Yoinim Yordu Lemata. That what was above until now, heaven was heaven and earth was earth. Now God descended onto the mountain. He brought down what belongs up above down to earth. And therefore the mitzvahs that we are now commanded have a total different dimension to the mitzvahs that were before Matantara. In that case, the fact that we said Nasev and Ishma, this is prior to Matantara. Prior to Matantara, you were able to accept those mitzvahs that were given till then. Now, for the mitzvahs henceforth, from Matantera on, you needed a new renewal of the vow. Now, at this point, the renewal of the vow is not so simple. And therefore, at this point, the Abishta had to take the mountain and have the mountain hover over the Jewish heads, so they would ultimately accept the Torah again. They needed to be threatened. The second time we got the same, same uh, second Torah from the same mountain? Yes, but that was a different... Uh, second Torah so is a different story. So they backtracked? No, they didn't go anywhere. Chateigo was Chateigo, was right, right there. Yeah, but if they didn't travel after. Very interesting, I would like to finish with this other Rashi. Although there are so many things that I wanted to say I didn't manage to get through today. Prior to the reading of the Sarasadibra's Ten Commandments, the Pasik tells us, and the Almighty spoke these words saying, the Mechilta, which is a Medrash on Chumash, says, Melame, this comes to teach us, Shehayu Eimrim, they used to say, Al Hain Hain, Lav Lav. On yes, yes, and on no's no. Divrei Rabbi Yishmol, these are the words of Rabbi Yishmol. Rabbi Akiva Eimr, Rabbi Akiva says no. 
Al hain hain, we love hain. On yes, yes, and on no, yes. What is this machlikis? What is they are? What is their dispute? Dispute goes as follows: What is a mitzvah? A mitzvah has two concepts to it. One is I'm doing the mitzvah to do what God wants me to do. Like I say in the Baruch Hashem, you sanctified, you commanded. That's why I'm doing the mitzvah. And another mitzvah is to purify and to elevate. To accomplish what the mission of the soul of the neshama is on this world. And the Zohar tells us, there are mach mitzvahs say, shesam mitzvahs say, 248 mitzvahs that we must do, positive commandments, and 365 that you cannot do, the negatives. There are 248 limbs of a body, and 365 sinews of the body. And therefore they correspond one with the other. The way a person, therefore, elevates purifies oneself would be a difference in a positive commandment and a negative commandment. The positive commandment, the person automatically elevates themselves by doing the mitzvah, making the bracha, taking the esrik, putting on the tefillin. They become higher. But on the other hand, the loisa say, the negative commandments, their prohibition has in it something that's not good. And therefore you have to be careful not to fall into doing the prohibition, doing this mitzvah, being victim, falling victim to this lesa say. However, when it comes to prior to the want of the Creator, all mitzvahs are equal. In God's actual mind, the mitzvahs are equal. So when we're Makayim, when we do the mitzvah, say the positive commandment, or when we don't do, we refrain from doing a negative commandment, we're in one. This is the difference between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva. According to Rabbi Shmuel, the Jews saw by Matan Teira that Teira mitzvah elevates the person. And therefore, Al-Hain Hain. On the mitzvahs I say that you're allowed to do, yeah, good. They also saw that the mitzvahs they say, the negative commandments, are, mit, are things that God forbid can destroy a person, that are detrimental. And therefore, Allah love. Rabbi Akiva did not say that. Rabbi Akiva only saw good. And therefore, Al-Hain Hain, yes, you're going to be elevated with it. The Allah Hain. And even by the Lesa say, you are not going to fall into the trap. By not falling into the trap, it's also positive. And therefore, Rabbi Akiva's approach is always positive. And this is what falls back to what we said in the beginning, that a person has to take always positive, find the positive within oneself, and we have to take our positivity and our feeling, and we have to take this to say that we are positive, that we will hear again, Teira Chadosha Me'iti 
the new words of Tera, new things in Tera, new concepts in Tera, that will come out once again in Yerushalayim, Yerakadosh, that we will hear this Shabbos from the mouth of Mashiach Tzidkenu. Amen. Amen.